This season of the Sober Curious podcast is supported by Liars, an award-winning line of 13 impossibly crafted non-alcoholic spirits. The original philosophy behind Liars was to let you have your drink your way, meaning with all of the flavor and none of the alcohol. Crafted to mimic the exact taste and appearance of all the traditional spirits, this means you can take any classic cocktail and make it a Liars, simply by switching out the booze for the Liars non-alcoholic alternatives. Whatever the reason, you're choosing to live your life hangover free. Liars is available on Amazon, BevMo and at Liars.com. That's L-Y-R-E-S dot com. And you can visit Liars.com forward slash SoberCurious to sign up for a special 15% discount code. You can also follow along on Instagram and find recipes and more at Liars Spirit Co. And welcome back to the Sober Curious podcast, a place for living a more conscious and connected life. I'm your host, Ruby Warrington, and my guest this week is Sophia Amoruso, the author and entrepreneur who recently stepped down as CEO at Girlboss to focus on a new direction for herself and her career. I got hold of the idea that Sophia may be sober curious after she sent out a newsletter a couple of years ago where she just casually slipped in there that she'd recently quit drinking. And so I was really happy she agreed to come on the podcast to talk all about her relationship with alcohol, which it turns out has been very similar to mine. We also discuss the role of booze in our working lives, how many of us use it as a quick way to switch off and as a counterbalance to overworking, and how our modern 24-7 hustle culture can often become a gateway to work addiction. All subjects that I can really relate to personally, and which have also come under the spotlight in the fallout from the COVID pandemic. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. This is Sophia Amoruso. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to um, be kind of, we were like, it's great to meet you again. And I was like, well, yeah, we first met in 2014. Oh my God. Which feels like a lifetime ago, I think, for both of us. A completely different lifetime. Completely different. So I was interviewing you at the time. Girlboss had just come out, the book, and was causing such major waves and was so kind of instantly successful. And I think for, for, you know, people will all be familiar with the, the girl boss ethos, I suppose, which you talked about in that book and which I think really kind of captured the mood at the time, like six years ago, which was this entrepreneurial kind of hustle spirit, which was basically saying, anybody can do this. You don't have to have an MBA from Harvard. We have the technology now. We have the access now to like make our lives as we want them to be. Um, and I was very much engaged in that myself at the time. I was setting up the Numinous and <laughs> had just tried to launch a line of sweatshirts, which I will never, ever, ever <laughs> do again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, and it's interesting. I was just thinking about kind of, you know, before we got on the call, thinking about that time, how that was a time when I was really deep in my questioning around my drinking. Because I think for me, stepping into this more entrepreneurial kind of created self-directed self-reliant path in terms of my career had really shone a light on how my alcohol use was impacting my overall well-being you know I just couldn't show up in the way that I wanted to not only wanted to but needed to when I was using that substance and so I think that this this is something I thought a lot about over the past few years and I'm really excited to chat to you about it because it's not really discussed that often. 
if anything, there's a big drinking culture in the startup world. And I'm just always like, how? (laughs) We're killing so much of our creativity. While at the same time, without alcohol, how do we have, how do we, how can we relax? How can we connect with our teams and colleagues? Like there's just a lot there, I think. So yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not completely natural to connect over work and network and ask for things from people and manage people and, you know, want your team to be happy and feel comfortable, but maybe drinking with them is not the best idea. I drank my way through my 20s. So um, I don't know if I was ever classified as an alcoholic, but I drank almost every day. Every day was a business dinner, some kind of champagne clink over, some milestone. You know, there was a time in my life where people were congratulating me and I had to ask what thing they were congratulating me for because there were so many things happening. It was wild. Um, I think I built a great Rolodex drinking and had a lot of fun with a lot of people in some ways it, you know, it is a social lubricant, especially if you're an introvert like me and came in the back door to the business world and wound up networking with like, you know, executives and other entrepreneurs and people who have educations or careers that I don't even relate to, um, who are also awesome, but you know, it's going to a conference is really scary. Um, and that, that was my life for a long time. I loved a bar, buttery Chardonnay, you know, then I got into Mezcal cause it had less calories or whatever. I drank a lot of wine at a very puffy face. And there were so many times when I would wake up just feeling like shit and had some big responsibility. And there were times where I totally blew them because I was like hungover or stayed up late. And that's just, I mean, after age like 21, maybe it's just so not okay. It's not cool. It's not cute. It's not rock and roll. I think I kind of thought it might be at the time I wanted to be the cool boss, you know, the edgy, cool entrepreneur or whatever. And I mean, drinking can be fun, but at the same time, that kind of behavior is not how you get respect from a team or from colleagues. You know, it, it's, it's really not sustainable. Yeah. And so I kind of hit a point about three years ago and four years ago, maybe when I started dating uh, my current partner, Galen, and he just pointed out how much I was drinking. My last relationship, I I think we only had fun when we drank. Mm. So when you can have fun with someone sober, then you know, it's a good, you know, it's a good relationship, right? We can have fun in the produce aisle. (laughs) <laughs> um, or, you know, I don't flight layover with, you know, sleepy international flight layover, whatever. Um, and you know, there were times that I would throw up and I just was like, Oh, well, you know, it didn't happen very often, but he's like, dude, you're in your thirties and you're like throwing up drunk. This is gross. Like, I don't want to be around this. Mm. And so, and I found myself having a really hard time limiting Cause I'd be like, okay, I'll just have one. And it was never one. Like one was just like an amuse bouche or something. One was like, you know, having a sip of water. It, it was the judgment kind of went out the window with one. And by two, 8 PM on Wednesday night, I'm texting friends who are getting ready for bed, asking if they want to karaoke or go to a strip club. (laughs) like (laughs) he called he calls her Galen calls that girl Tina turn up 
Um, and I guess I'm a little different when I drink, but I think I'm a blast. And and I, I think maybe I, I am, but I think maybe it's probably gross for your partner who's not so tickled by the novelty of a personality change the same way like friends going out might be. Well, they have to live with the after effect or live with whether that's you kind of just being really moody and angry because you're hungover and horrible to be around or seeing you, yeah, getting sick and being worried about you and not wanting to see you suffering in that way. Yeah. And so it's been, you know, it's been like, I didn't drink for pretty much a full year and then tiptoed into it, had like one kind of, I don't even want to say wild night because it sounds cool, but drank too much in Mexico City, <laughs> room temperature mezcal. It just doesn't, you just, it's like body temperature and it's just, you just, it's just, I don't know how gasoline, you know, can, can go down so fast. But, um, so now I might have a drink once a month, like one, and it's really not that gratifying, it's so weird how I just don't, I'm like, why did I do that? Mm. It wasn't extra fun. And now I feel kind of foggy or it's just so different being on the other side of it. Mm. Feeling like not relating to the person who's chugging alcohol every day, you know? Mm. I think, well, I will say I can relate to so much of what you said that pretty much describes my career in journalism. <laughs> And so much of it was about wanting to be the cool girl as well. You know, you talk about that and it's like, it's a really real thing. I don't think I ever felt extroverted enough, pretty enough, stylish enough, cool enough, funny enough to be that character until I'd had a few drinks. And then I could totally play that role, you know? And for me, you touched on this as well in terms of perhaps some imposter syndrome that you felt when you were having initially this kind of big blast of success and everything's kicking off, but you don't have the training and you don't have the accolades and you don't necessarily have the mentors and support. And so there's a, I talk in the, in so curious about what I call the confidence paradox, the fact that we drink alcohol to feel more confident, but when we come to rely on it for our confidence, we actually realize that it's kind of eroded. We haven't been building out. We haven't been, engaging in activities, experiences, challenges that are actually what build real confidence. We've just been outsourcing it to this substance, which ultimately, yeah, robs us of that. Yeah. You're not like, there's no self-improvement when you're using alcohol as a crutch to, you know, be social or do business. And, you know, what I, and what I found when I stopped drinking was that going out to dinner and business dinners and loud restaurants was intolerable. Like restaurants are super loud. Everybody's drunk. I go to a conference and this is like a business thing. And I see all these people drinking and I was drinking with them before. Mm. I didn't know what this looked like, but sober watching all of these executives get kind of sloppy around. It's just so unprofessional. It was just so weird. Like standing through this window with like a totally different perspective, watching objectively what this world has been like. Mm. Um, and I've, you know, you know, I miss going out to dinner. Well, one, cause it's COVID era of COVID, but also, you know, having a couple drinks, lingering with a friend outside, letting the evening set in, not rushing through dinner, you know, having something to do for an hour or two before you eat, you know, like the kind of European drinking uh, once in a while, like I miss how easy it is 
to relax in that regard. Because now when I go to dinner, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done eating. I'm going home. Like there's no, it's, I've atrophied the part of myself over those years that could have naturally developed and been capable. Sorry, there's dogs. <laughs> and been capable of doing the same things and enjoying myself and lingering with a friend as the sun goes down and eating slowly and not requiring a happy hour to do it. You know, that that that's a that's a part of me that never that never developed the way it could. And now certainly during COVID, it's just mm. disappeared. Mm. Well, well, and I say it like that because this is the kind of place I find myself in often as well. I, I similarly to you again, I off, I used, I recognized that I used alcohol as a way to relax. I have this real on when I'm feeling negative about myself, it's an overachiever kind of perfectionist mind that just like wants to constantly be doing, improving, solving a problem, making it happen. And I think that's very entrepreneurial and has very been very helpful for me in terms of my career. But when that doesn't have an off switch and when life is just that, it can become extremely draining, tiring and a fast track to burnout. And so I recognized that actually when I was using alcohol to relax, in a way I was doing myself a favor because it doesn't serve me as a whole person to be in that kind of like on hustle mode the whole time and I can so easily sort of slip into that and I think lockdown has actually really brought that home for me because well what's one thing I can do to not worry about the fact that the world is going to complete shit (laughs) I can work I can launch a new project I can write another book and I've done all those things this year you know it's not it's just September I've written a book written a proposal launched a new business and I'm just but now I'm also at a point of burnout where I'm like this doesn't feel fun and exciting anymore. I just feel like I'm being dragged along by my life. And for the first time in so long, I've been craving like a glass of red wine because I'm like, I know that that would give me the instant relief that I'm looking for. So yeah, I'm there with you trying to find ways to kind of slip into that relaxed mode. And it's really difficult when we can't just like, because socializing is something I do think like with a good friend, someone I can feel really relaxed around which is not the same as the people I used to do my drinking with necessarily, although there are some within that group that have kind of crossed over with me. But um, I think just having that kind of like that friendly, easy connection can be a way to get me out of myself and to kind of get into relax mode. But with COVID, we don't have that option necessarily. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, when I stopped drinking, the hardest thing for me was that kind of 6 p.m. workdays over, seven or eight or whenever it was that was a time of my day that's like I get my coffee I eat my lunch I you know at that time of day that marks the end of my work work day maybe it's a business dinner or something where it's a little more casual but you know it's hard to keep working when you're lobotomizing yourself Mm. so Mm. Mm. Uh, alcohol just made me incapable of doing real work, um, which, you know, like you said, was kind of, kind of nice because it does it for you and stopping at 6 PM and meditating and turning off your computer or whatever takes a lot more discipline. Mm. And Um, it doesn't have the added reward of, or perceived sort of reward of like, this actually feels nice and I can be a bit fabulous with it too. You know, I can put on an outfit for this. (laughs) Yeah, I think those of us with vices have been really tested during COVID. Mm. 
Um, I think for me in the beginning, it was food. Um, Cause I was just like, cheese it's, it was a thing. It was like a joke. My birthday was in April and I talked about food so much over the couple of months that we were in quarantine before my birthday on April 20th. The only gifts I got were food. <laughs> my assistant sent me like a joke gift of like a hundred bags, not even in the boxes, but just like bulk bags of Cheez-Its from Amazon. My dad sent me brownie mix and a pan. My mom sent me like Godiva chocolates in like a basket with like cellophane. And there was more, but, uh, that, that was, that was, you know, we all have our vices, I think. Mm -hmm. And those of us who don't, you know, I really, you know, envy you and you're going to, you know, turn into godly dust at some (laughs) point. And we're just going to be recording podcasts about our weaknesses, but, um, you know, this is a time where everybody's been tested and it's easy to trade one out for another too. Mm. You're like, okay, well, it's not food. Then, I mean, there's nothing to buy. Like right. that's also just like, yeah. there's nowhere to go to not fill the void. Apart like, from food and drink. Yeah. I can't buy stuff. I can't, it's just like, there's nothing. I'm just kind of stuck with myself where, you know, it's, there's not even a, a vice to trade out to trade out for. Um, so I think that's actually kind of healthy. We're, no, we're kind of definitely, I mean, all I in rehab or either in hell or rehab right now. Uh, some people would say, what's the difference? But yeah, <laughs> I kind yeah. of feel like I wrote a piece at the beginning, just a, a piece for the blog about this being a real exercise and just having to be present. Like there's literally no off option but but to be present with whatever you're feeling because there's no outlet for it there's no escape from it you're literally in your apartment with your feelings and all the feelings that are kind of teeming in your social media or other people as well so yeah it's definitely been a really interesting time of no escape in that sense but I think yeah for a lot of people that has meant increasing their usage of whether it's drinking pills, smoking, food, like whatever, that the TV. I mean, mine have been TV, total TV, aholicism, TV, TVism, <laughs> and work. Yeah, those have been the two things that have. Yeah, really TV. Kind of I guess I did replace food with TV. We watched <laughs> every season of Lost has like twenty three episodes. I don't know if you've seen Lost. Well, not for not for years, and I don't think I watched many's many. It's really good. It's that the test of time so we watched the first three seasons because I guess it just kind of gets bad after that and I didn't want to I wanted to leave I wanted to like French exit leave the party before everybody got too drunk I guess <laughs> or didn't there's nothing left to write but um each season has I don't know if it's 23 or 26 episodes and we and they're each like an hour and we've got through three seasons wow so I don't that's like that's like three work weeks or I don't that even is. I mean that's crazy but it was so good it was like it was like taking it was as close to taking a vacation as I could there's not a lot of tv shows you can watch that are shot outside yeah right (laughs) on On a beach island yeah true this is is resonating I'm gonna bring this to my tv partner in crime my husband and see what he uh, thinks yeah yeah so I'd love to just backtrack a bit you said that you did quit drinking for a year and I actually remember you said and I, I first realized that oh I'd love to actually speak to you about some of this stuff. You sent a newsletter out. I think it was, well, I know, because I looked it up because it was in my inbox. Still. 
in August 2018, and you just casually mention you're going on a, a camping trip, and you're like, I'm not really doing mojitos by the pool anymore. In fact, I gave up drinking a year ago. And it was such a casual mention. It wasn't something you weren't kind of like going into why or but you just slip in this mention. And of course, I was just finishing writing Sober Curious at the time. And I was a bit like, interesting. People don't just stop quitting, just stop drinking for a year. That's not something that you do just, why not, for fun. But I'd love to know if there was, um, was it the fact that your partner had been shining a light on Yeah, he was drinking? just so annoying. Like there was a <laughs> point where I was in therapy and I was like, fuck, I guess I have to choose my relationship or alcohol. And he never gave me an ultimatum, but he was just so annoying and like shamed me <laughs> um, and turned off by, by it, which is, I don't know, either controlling or caring or both. Never had anybody care enough to be, to, to, to I don't know, to be as vocal as he was about my drinking. He, his dad was also an alcoholic, so I think there's some sensitivity there. But, um, that was, that was initially why, and then it just became fun. I, how long can I do this for? It wasn't, it wasn't like a revelation. It wasn't like, a this is ruining my life. It's like, you know, I think the definition of alcoholism is like, oh, it's causing problems in your social life. Like that's one of them. It's like, mm. it's causing problems in your relationship. So mm. I don't know if I'm properly an alcoholic. I don't really care if I'm happy to have that title. I got plenty. Um, good and bad, but you know, that, that's one kind of obvious sign that, um, that, that alcohol is a problem. Um, mm -hmm. and I think once I realized that I was like, all right, like, let me give this a shot. And it was so interesting to experience life without it. And I just, I just, but I just started eating at home every night. Cause it's just socializing is, is near intolerable. It's very different. I don't want to get home at 9 p.m. You have a business dinner. You have a dinner at 7. I mean, two hours with driving in L.A., driving home in L.A. is only half an hour. It's like, you know, it's like getting home at 9, 9.30 on a weeknight. I just did that for so long. And now I'm like, I, I just hope I have a kid. So, I, I mean, there's COVID. So there's no, like, ex, you don't need excuses. But when this changes, like... You know, sometimes I say I need to let my dogs out, but mm. you know, the whole like I have a kid. Mm. Um, I need to get back for the sitter. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna have a kid just for that reason. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. although I mean that's a whole other conversation. There's the whole wine mum culture. A lot of people oh yeah, gross. Who've had a lot of people, a lot of women who've had very self-actualized, kind of self-directed career lives go down the path of motherhood and feel like a lot has been taken from them. And alcohol can often kind of then slip in as a way to be the, okay, I still got it. <laughs> you know, I've heard many mums kind of talk about that transition being very challenging and then alcohol becomes a way to, the thing, I guess what I'm, the point I'm making is like, whatever's going on for you, alcohol is like always there as a sort of quote unquote solution for what might be difficult to bear or to experience. I think from the way you've described um, what your boyfriend was saying, it sounds more on the caring tip than the, than the controlling okay, that's good tip. To know. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm so allergic to authority and being told what to do. It's just runs through my blood. Like I think everyone's attacking me or if someone t gives me a piece of information that I already know, what I hear is you think I'm an idiot. Why would you tell me that? You're assuming I don't know that by telling me. Like, I'm just, 
I'm so neurotic and sometimes defensive that having someone who cares about me enough to be like, Hey, like this probably isn't good for you. Feels like, you know, boyfriend control. What is this? Mm, mm. I can't get, I can have a controlling boyfriend. So there's a, I guess there's a, maybe there's not a fine line, but for me, there's a fine line, um, between caring and controlling, even if it's just completely a figment of my imagination. Oh, I know. I, I, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I'm glad that you're speaking about it because a lot of people reach out to me from both sides, being the, the caring or concerned partner, being the person who's being told what to do. And so, yeah, I think there, there's a bit, there's a bit of both and it comes down to like, are you ready to hear it as well? Is if there's a, is there a kernel of truth in there that you're actually like, I know I, I, part of me knows I need to hear this, you know? Yeah, totally. It's like he complained for a long time. Like nobody makes change until they're ready to, you know, it's like you can try to quit biting your nails. You can, it's just, even if we have all of the knowledge intellectually and know that something's not good for us or even know how to change it, we change when we're ready to change. And Mm -hmm. Some, I mean, this wasn't an ultimatum, but it was, you know, I finally got to a point where I was like, all right, let me, let me give this a shot. Just let me humor, humor you. Mm, mm. And, um, yeah, that's when, that's when the right change is made. I think when it's elective. Mm, Absolutely. Like you say, it sort of has to be, otherwise it's not going to stick. I would like to talk a little bit more about the kind of role of alcohol in work culture, particularly the kind of like tech startup world, you know, where you continue to be really influential. I, it reminds me, actually, I was in Australia just before the pandemic hit and a woman was at my event and she had quit drinking about a year ago. And she was saying how she works for a tech company in Sydney. And, you know, most nights they would bring out a booze trolley and it would be kind of like tools down. We can do some chit chat. Like here, part of your, part of the deal is you get free beer or whatever it was. And she took it to HR. She's like, as a non-drinker, I feel really discriminated against. Not only is there a kind of like specific non-alcoholic option for me so that I can join in with this, but also it's making me feel like if I don't join in, I'm not part of the team. I'm not part of the gang. And again, I think this is something that a lot of people experience. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about, A, for people who might be experiencing that in their own company. Um, or people who are kind of like running a workplace who may not have considered that and how alienating it can, that kind of drinking culture in the office can be for people who don't drink, whatever their reasons are for not drinking. Yeah. There's kind of like the haves and have nots of drinking, you know, Mm. hope you have a team who wants to be together, but then when people's friendships become more important than their jobs and drinking can do that, they, they are more loyal to one another than they are to the mission of the business or the job that they have at hand. It's easy for, you know, for culture to go downhill and the alcohol can do that. That being said, it can also be something that you get to know people differently than you would otherwise in an office setting, leaving the office gives you that opportunity. But we did it at girl boss over coffee. We had a little Slack app called donut. It's like a little bot and it matches you with someone else in the Slack once a week that says like, Hey, it's your weekly donut. And like, we would, you know, I did without fail. Sometimes I had to push them, but walk to coffee for 20 minutes and tried not to talk about work with Mm. whoever on the team, this app told, you know, and so it was, it wasn't about, it wasn't having a meeting. It was, you know, always leaving the office to do it. 
And so that was a way to build empathy among the team in a way that I think in, you know, a nasty gal and among other companies is done with alcohol. Mm. I think the role of alcohol in the workplace, uh, you know, I think it, it built the man's club, the boys club, you know, mm. whiskey on a, car, on a bar cart in your office is like, you know, it's in every movie. Um, when something's, you know, happens in business, the guy takes a swig of whiskey midday and business is done over cigars and alcohol and those, t- but times have changed. So not only is it not, you know, does it open the door for unsavory encounters between employees, inappropriate things to happen because our judgment is limited and it's, you know, a casual setting. We've seen a lot of this stuff come to light. And I think a lot of these things happen with alcohol involved. Mm. It's passe. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's just, you know, it's passe. I remember I hired someone, moved them from the UK uh, to LA to work with me, an executive to work with me at Nasty Gallon. We had this big launch and then we all like went back to, it was in New York. And then we went back to our hotel rooms or Airbnb or whatever we were doing. And she was so disappointed that we didn't all just go like drink as like, she was like, what is this? Like, we're not celebrating. Like what a bummer that was just to be expected um, in, in England. So, you know, that was, that's some, a lot of people feel that way. And at Girlboss, we had kombucha. Occasionally, we had like a little toast, but often it was a kombucha toast. And you just get little champagne flutes. You can put anything in a champagne flute and it feels fancy and celebratory. (laughs) I'm pausing this episode to tell you about Curious Elixirs, a collection of booze-free craft cocktails infused with adaptogens that are designed to help you unwind. True pioneers of the Sober Curious movement, Curious Elixirs is on a mission to create the world's most sophisticated booze-free drinks. With flavors inspired by classics like the Aperol Spritz, the Spicy Margarita, and the Negroni, every Curious Elixir is handcrafted with organic ingredients and no added sugar. Plus, added adaptogens and plant extracts help you de-stress and relax without the hangover, whether you're toasting with your team or sipping solo. Visit CuriousElixirs.com to place an order and sign up for the subscribers-only Curious Cocktail Club to ensure your fridge stays fully stocked. Listeners can also claim one free bottle on orders over $50 with the code RUBY. Now back to the episode. Exactly, and I think what you're saying, I love the the idea of that app. It's about actually just making an intentional connection. Alcohol just kind of like, it just like things quote unquote just happen, but not always good things, as you rightly pointed out. Some bad things can just happen when alcohol is involved. And I think that a lot of this is about just just having to be more intentional in an area where you're used to things just kind of happening, you know, because we're all on this vibe or whatever. But actually intentionally being I love the idea of like you've got a 20 minute date and you you're not allowed to talk about work. You need to find something out about each other. Some of them are going to be so awkward, awkward. If you're like, oh, you're kind of an idiot. <laughs> or like we literally have nothing in common. But yeah, what a great way to meet people on the team who you're actually gonna gonna really, yeah, potentially gel with. I think that's really cool. I love it. 
And especially as a leader, it's like, you know, I used to be like, I was like the last one at our holiday party, like dancing on the dance floor, like the nasty cat holiday parties. And it's just like, I thought that was cool. It's just like, you know, you're a leader, you go, you give a toast, you say, hello, you're a great host. And then you go home. And as much as it's easy to think that people want like a cool boss. And I was like, you know, I want it to be like, I'm like you, you know, I'm just a person. I'm just a cool kid. It's like people want, people want leadership. They want to see that their leaders are in control, even if you're like never. (laughs) Um, And drinking, I think can really erode that. Even if you think it's like a blast, like ultimately your team is looking to you uh, to be an example. Mm, Absolutely an example of like of dependability especially in times that are so rapidly evolving and there's so much in flux like anyone who's in a position of leadership needs to be a stable reliable source of information support leadership like you say and we have such a paucity of that in terms of like you know global leadership at the moment that i think that we all wherever we have the opportunity to show that model of leadership, it is our responsibility to do it. There's something else which I think is really important about the time that Girl Boss came along um, and you became kind of a, a figurehead for that for this, this new way of working, I suppose. We live in this really 24-7 world now because of social media, because of global kind of like connectivity, because of technology. There isn't that same like off switch. It's just the off switch doesn't actually exist. Like we are on all the time. And this kind of leads into a conversation which, you know, I see you writing about it um, regularly, the kind of whole idea of work-life balance and what that actually means when we live in this world where we're just on, on, on all the time. You know, it could be any point, any point in the evening, a tweet could come in that just kind of completely throws a massive curveball at us. And we have to respond in a way that is not only responsible but sensitive and you know appropriate and so yeah we we live in a really different world now is what I'm saying and that kind of that that relic of the boss from a bygone era really who was the last one on the dance floor kind of showing hey we have fun here too it reminds me actually I don't know if you ever watched the office like the British version of the office only the American one. Okay, so there's a British, obviously Ricky Gervais did the British version and the David Brent character. He's always walking around the office going like, yeah, 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 come on, liven up. We're mad here, we're mad here we are. And it's like this mentality of like, oh, work, that boring old thing. What we're really for here for is to have fun, you know? So there were two sort of observations there in terms of this shift that you've experienced. One, yeah, are we here to have fun or are we here to like make a difference and do something really impactful in the world? And are we actually kind of doing that 24-7? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like making an impact 24-7 has such a negative impact on yourself, you know? Exactly. I'd love to so. if you could share a bit, because this taps back into the that thing that we share, and I think a lot of people experience, and especially during COVID, it's really getting a light shone on it. I use alcohol as a way to relax and switch off from work that I think alcohol used to be my version of work-life balance because it'd be like Mm -hmm. I'm working and anytime I'm not working I'm drinking so that's like drinking is not working I equated those two things you know so yeah how can we approach work-life balance I think you have you know some new offerings coming out that are going to yeah, address this, but it's such a hugely important subject in these times in particular yeah I mean some of us 
you know, are able to take sabbaticals during this time. Like I have a mortgage, like I, you know, I left girl boss, um, uh, God, I don't know in June and I guess it's what September now. And since then I've had to really rethink what it is that I'm going to do to provide for myself and pay this, pay for these three expensive poodles that I have. (laughs) Um, and I've taken stock of what it is that I enjoy doing, that I'm good at, how I like to do it, what kind of environment, what kind of lifestyle I want. So how can I build my uh, next endeavor around the lifestyle that I want and not vice versa and not be run by my own creation? Uh, If you're lucky enough to have something you do be successful, uh, it will make work for you that you know you're not making for yourself and that's true no matter what but lifestyles just become increasingly important to me because I've given so many years of my life to my businesses with absolutely no boundaries um so you know what I've what I've done in the last few months I created an an, an ebook called the side hustle bible um which you can find on my website and then also launched uh, kind of a mini course with a company called Commune on something called Finding Business Clarity, which is actually just all about building your business or start just starting, you know, a business that complements your life um, and working, you know, and living to working to live, not living to work, right? Mm. Um, and what I'm doing next is in a, in a similar space, it's digital. I can do it from home, digital product scale. I can use it over and over again. So conferences and events, not the case. Clothes, you have inventory. Mm-hmm. It's eating up your cash flow. It's sitting in a warehouse. You have to put it on sale. Uh, so there's something really beautiful about a digital business that's new for me, like a completely digital business. And I'm really, really clear that I'll be able to build some efficiencies into my life and lifestyle with that business and also make a huge impact by giving away everything that I know that I've spent the last 15 years having absolutely no work-life balance learning so that I can give it to people to hopefully kind of sidestep the mistakes that I made mm. and um, accelerate their businesses and, you know, and, fi- you know, find efficiencies that uh, took me a really, really long time to find. Um, Efficient- efficiencies that will allow essentially for more of their humanity is kind of what I'm getting from you. Yeah. And like, for more personal who, who am I as a human know? being and what do I need beyond all of the things that I get from my work life, which can become so consuming. Like what are the things I need that are not attached to how much money I'm making? Like how many hours I'm putting in, how many products I'm putting out, like all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy for our self-worth to get wrapped up in our work. Um, But I also always, you know, remind myself that most of the people I know today wouldn't have talked to me if I hadn't accomplished anything. And that doesn't mean they're bad people, but there's a few people who really know who I am and who were with me before I started anything. And there's just something more pure about those friendships um, that doesn't necessarily, you know, reward 
my achievements. Um, there there'll always be a little bit at odds with the friendships I've made through business because I know that these people would have never cared about me had I not done something that fits into this paradigm of success. But I've met so many people I love and I don't think they have ill intentions, but it's just kind of a weird paradox. Mm. Yeah, it's strange. I'm on a different kind of level. I feel very similar. So I put the whole my whole numinous platform and in a way sober curious apart from doing the podcast on a hiatus last summer because I just got to a point where I was completely burnt out like launching these two different projects being the figurehead of both being the creative force of both I just got to a point where I was like I physically can't do this like just writing an email felt like it would be so much effort I just couldn't (laughs) a book has actually just come out it's called can't even and it's about millennial burnout I'm a bit older than millennial, but I don't have kids. So I kind of fall into that younger millennial category. I think it keeps me there anyway. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I actually, at the time, even in my state of burnout, I was like, I'm going to write a book about this. I'm going to write a book about success addiction because I think I've been suffering success addiction rather than like enjoying the process and having, as you say, working to support myself and my life. I'd become so fixated on like the next goal, the next achievement, the next accolade, the next write up in a magazine, the next thousand followers on Instagram, whatever it was, like that had become what I was going for. And it was like the empty calories of achievement, basically, because as soon as I achieved one of those things, I would straight away be craving the next one. And it felt like this very addictive cycle I was on. But yeah, and taking that year off, I just felt I don't know, I stopped straightening my hair. (laughs) I like, I don't know, I just felt myself sort of just completely unclenched and in that time like yeah various relationships disappeared and it was kind of okay but it was a strange period of noticing like how much of what and who is in my life is as a result of this this stuff that I've been doing you know yeah the cost of making money can be more expensive than the reward right Mm. Uh, with our time and sanity sometimes insanity you know it's like what are you going to do with money it's like okay you sat by an infinity pool they're all the same (laughs) so (laughs) how many vacations can you possibly take you know it's like there's just a point where there's a diminishing return and you know I've realized that I've realized you know I've been lucky enough to have the perspective of really what really matters by having the world show me what doesn't and celebrate what doesn't and be, be, you know, uh, convinced that success financially or in our careers is what matters. And it's important, right? We want to prove to ourselves that we're capable um, and we want to grow and our, our jobs and our businesses are opportunities to do that. Can be really, really, really rewarding personally and fulfilling um but at the same time that there's there's this you know external validation that comes with that that can warp our in our 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 intentions pretty pretty quickly yeah pretty quickly it was actually the world health organization named burnout an official syndrome last summer kind of in, in in timing with my like just total crash and i do think in a way that that represent like burnout represents a kind of a, a rock bottom 
that I think many of us are experiencing with trying to keep up with this 24 hour pace of like constant achievement that is that's been sold to us in many ways and so yeah I think there's a big reckoning with that happening and I think that COVID has sped up that reckoning because a it's really shone a light on like well, how, how many of us define success is only available actually to such a teeny tiny percentage of the overall population, most of whom are burnt out because they're like literally trying to survive, <laughs> you know, juggling multiple jobs on, on minimum wage or whatever. And I think there's been a lot of reckoning around like, wow, okay, yeah, so much of the stuff that I've been chasing is just completely, it's just a complete facade, you know. I'm really yeah. curious, you've, you've, you've written as well often about the notion of having it all as being kind of another facade like another game in a way it's like not rooted in the reality of our lives and I think there's something kind of like addictive thinking about having it all in the same way that like I could never not drink a whole bottle of wine it's like I'm gonna have it all until it's gone it kind of comes from this same place of I'm missing out there's a sense of like FOMO if I don't have a bit of, if I don't have everything that I can have then I'm missing out. And that I think FOMO generally comes from, you mentioned the void, this sense of just like, I don't, I'm not enough. I don't have enough because I am not enough. There's never going to be enough, which is this underlying sort of feeling behind a lot of addictive tendencies, I think, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're trying to, you're making up for something, hmm. right? You wouldn't drink if you didn't feel like you need to, needed to augment your personality, mm. I guess. Mm. Mm. Well, into I would love to hear a cup about a couple of things. You have you you you've got your you you've done your own reckoning, I think, with the idea of like having it all. Where are you at in terms of yeah. that now? You put something really cool on Instagram the other day. You're like, yeah. we're told that we can do whatever we want. Yeah, we can be anything we want, and actually, that isn't necessarily true either. It's not true. It's such a lie. And I'm, I'm sure I've suggested that or even said that at some point, I'm not really sure if you work hard enough, you know, you can achieve anything. And that's so nice and simplistic, but this is, the world is much more complex and nuanced than that. And saying that from a perspective of like a, you know, an affluent white woman is just a joke, you know, what is so out of touch. Um, you know, I, there was a time where I, I feel like I kind of had it all. I never, I never expected it. And I didn't wake up. I didn't start my business to have it. And it happened. And I think I stayed more grounded than the average person might have because it wasn't really what I set out to do. Mm. But I, it's certainly, there's certainly a time where I was a lot more out of touch and I forgot the value of a dollar and I was like, well, everything is expensive. So what's the difference between this much and this much? They're both expensive. And those, those numbers can be really far apart. Um, mm. You know, there's a company that offered over $400 million for nasty gal when I owned 80% of it. And, you know, I look back at and think about the person I would have been had that happened and I don't like them. And I don't like their friends. And I think they're living in like a world that's buoyed by, you know, distractions. A great lifestyle. Cool. Great. Whatever. I can, you know, but I can take vacations. I don't really, it's just, there's a point where you start hanging out with people who are like, not like you or, 
I, I don't know. I found myself in places at times during the peak of my kind of like huzzah celebration years where I'm like, who are like that person's a billionaire? What, I'm on a yacht. Like, what is this? Who are these people? Oh, they, they're like, they're, they're the descendants of like, you know, rich people and they're oligarchs and they're married to oligarchs or I don't, it's just so foreign to me I'm from Sacramento, California, you know, I'm from like a cow town. It was entertaining, kind of glamorous, but I certainly didn't belong. And, you know, on the other side of it, it's not like everything was taken away, right? Nasty gal did not end well. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't sell the company and make money from it, but I have done well and I have enough. And more than enough, but I don't like dream of more. I would like to, you know, have a little bit more space since I'm working at home and I want some solar panels. I just want some solar energy. It's kind of like all I want. Maybe like replant some plants. Like I just don't want, I just don't want things. There's nowhere to wear shoes. Who cares? Like logos are embarrassing. Like, you know, so on the other side of it, I've found myself in a place where a lot of people bust their asses until they're like 50 years old so they can 55 or whatever so they can retire and travel and sit by the infinity pools and you know spend their whole life working for some of the things that I have experienced which it sounds really weird and and I'm very very grateful for but on the other side being younger and knowing the difference and finding out what matters by not getting everything by not having whatever I would have had if I'd sold, you know, that 80% of my ownership of the company is, um, I think ultimately has been a very good, good thing for me and my soul and my relationships and friendships. And, you know, I think money can make people really weird. Mm. And in a way, sort of like atrophy, that creative impulse to like, just make cool stuff. That's what I really loved about the book Girl Boss and the whole ethos and the meaning. It was like, I just want to make cool stuff. And I think that's such a great message. Let's just make cool stuff. If we, we applied that mentality to a bunch of the world's problems, <laughs> I think we'd be in a good place as opposed to let's make cool stuff that makes loads of money for these people, this 1% of people, this 0.1% of people or whatever. You know, maybe that's totally. an really idealistic way of thinking about things. But it reminds yeah. me a bit of, I can't remember, I read this the other day, I was reminded of it. I think Jim Carrey has a quote and it's something like, I wish everyone could become a famous movie star um, and earn all this money to realize that it's, so they could all realize it's not the thing, you know? That's the thing. It's not the thing. And that mm. comes, that's coming from an extremely privileged place mm. when I say that. And it is the thing for a lot of people right now. It's not necessarily about killing it. It's about survival. And so, you know, I'm talking about this hustle culture, killing it, entrepreneur, be a star, be a, get on the 30 under 30 and the 40 under 40 and the Inc. 500 and the whatever that I think I kind of have been responsible for uh, glorifying. Uh, but for some people, it's not, it, it is about, it is about money and, and it needs to be about money. Um, so there's, there are multiple truths here, multiple truths. And it's extremely nuanced. And at speaking as a person of privilege as myself, 
it's very difficult to kind of talk about this and not then instantly accuse yourself of like being ridiculously entitled and privileged. And this is one reason I didn't ever end up pitching my book on success addiction. Cause I was like, this is just, I just, no, it's too. Yeah. It too starts nuanced. with you already being successful. You right, know, exactly. like success addiction means I have, you can't be addicted to something unless you're actually you've ever had it. it. Yeah. So that's a tough one. <laughs> it is, but I also, I, you know, I'm a fan of having the tough conversations. So I think it is important that we talk about these things because how do we ultimately kind of dismantle the idea that rampant capitalism is the kind of goal, which is ultimately what keeps so many people in a place of poverty at the other end of the spectrum. We have to actually expose it for what it's doing to us all, actually. So yeah, I'm still up for having the conversation, obviously. And thanks for having the conversation with me. I would love just to finish up, um, to hear about what your definition of success is now. Like, what is that? It's almost a bit of a cliche to talk about redefining success, but I do think that COVID in particular has really shone a light on this subject for a lot of us. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear where you're, where you're at with that one. Yeah, that was something I asked at the end of every episode of my podcast when I have it had it, Girl Boss Radio. And it is, it is, it's cliched, but it's also like it's important to it's important to return to this question. You know, I think this is a question we should ever ask ourselves once. It's important to return to this question as frequently as possible because it should be changing. And it's changed so much for me over the course of my life. It's had, you know what what does success mean has had so many permutations so many answers for me and often it's mostly should remain a question Mm. but right now it means building something that makes an impact being in touch with myself and my friends and family um, caring about what matters and just kind of, you know, really right now I'm just kind of homesteading. So investing in this place that I'm lucky to call home and, um, build something that allows me to continue working from home. Cause I'm pretty I'm kind of into it. Well, thank you for coming on again. Um, yeah, there's such interesting stuff in here. And I think a lot of people will relate to so much of what you spoke of and, and do relate to so much of your journey. And I thank you also for just always being really honest about like who you are and where you're at, where you're at and what's working and what's not. It's really refreshing to see thank that. Thank you. Thanks. And I do, you know, we talked about a little bit of my pivot so far, but I do have something really exciting launching and you I can't do. talk about it yet. But um if you, I mean, basically, if you follow me anywhere, but I have a newsletter on my website, sophiaamaruso.com, shameless plug, you'll be the first to hear about it. It's really, really, it's the, I think it's the best thing I've ever done, which is so crazy to say, because I mean, it's not like, oh, you can't top that, but I'm, I'm just having such a blast and incorporating everything I've learned over these 15 years of entrepreneurship, it feels like. Um, I'm doing it just like surgically in a way that is really, really fun. A lot less trial and error this time. Well, I can't wait to see it. I have learned so much from my mistakes too. 
and I'm grateful to be in a position where I've experienced all of that and I can hopefully help other people to totally. not make the same mistakes. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I will, so I'll much. include all those links in the show notes. Oh, um, well, and yes, you. if you don't already follow at Sophia Amoruso to get all the latest updates for this exciting announcement coming soon. Thank you all again for being here. Thank you, Sophia. Thanks, Ruby. Thank you again for being here, for getting sober curious and for being part of this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes to help more people find the series. This podcast is edited and features original music by Aloe Audio. Find them at aloeaudio.com.